More subdued opening this week uh, on Maroon was, on Mars. Was, was that subdued? Is it because we talked so long last time that we're still tired? Oh my God, it? that episode was almost two hours. <laughs> How crazy is that? Because that was the ch- that was the shortest book of the chapter. We talked for over an hour and forty five minutes. We talked over. That was crazy. I couldn't believe That's it. Hilarious. When I, when I went to edit the episode, I was like, I can't believe. I knew it was long, but I didn't realize it was that long. It was amazing. And this episode will probably, let's only record for half an hour. <laughs> I was going to say, can we do 15 minutes? Can we yeah, exactly. breeze, really breeze right through this one? Yeah, well, you know, not a lot when, happens. Oh, no. Well, nothing happens in this show. I, I did feel last time like we had talked for like a little longer than usual, but I was really thinking it was like an hour and 15, maybe 20, which I feel yeah. like is what our like longer episodes usually are. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. No, that was long. That was long. Hey, no one's complaining uh, so far. Thanks to everyone who actually listened to the whole thing. <laughs> did uh, <laughs> I don't? You probably didn't listen to it, but I did put in a Zardoz drop as soon as I mentioned Zardoz. I took some uh, nice. a, a quote from Zardoz when the big uh, skull head says uh, Zardoz. Mm-hmm. Zardoz speaks to you. I put that in there. Um, uh. Hey, I watched a not really science fiction uh, movie from the early 2000s, uh, the earlier this week, called Equilibrium. Have you seen that movie? Is that the one with Christian Bale? Oh, it is. It okay. is. Uh, it's, yeah. it is. It's like a post-Matrix the, the, type thing, right? It is. It's so, uh, maybe the first movie where you get the idea of like a gun-based martial arts, the right. gun kata. Right, 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 right. I I remember watching that. I started watching that and I like don't think I could finish it. Or maybe I did finish it, but it's just like so stupid that it's just. It's, I, I, I enjoyed it. I mean, it's like very, it is just like a weird, like, um, uh, like this, uh, just like a very anachronistic, really anti-communism. Um, mm. Like it's a very, it's just like a classic American anti-communist film, basically. Right. Um, but it has a lot of hilarious and very strange stuff that mm-hmm. happens in it that's clearly like not really within the sort of control of the film. So it's like super symptomatic. But for I, I think you might enjoy watching yeah. it. It felt uh, even like watching it by myself on my laptop. I laughed hysterically <laughs> a lot. And I really wished it, it was another so many things recently have made me think I wish that we could be going to the movies, yes. you know, oh like I wish specifically you and I could be yeah. going to the movies and we have like, a good time at um, the movies. yeah, that <laughs> it just like better not be the case that the last movie we see together in a movie theater is that movie that we saw when you were in Chicago the last time that I can't even remember what it was called. Which one was, was it an Avengers movie? I can't remember what it was. No, either. no, no, no. It was, um, uh, I want to say I, keep thinking it was called Omega Man. Obviously, it was not Omega Man. Um, um, 
it was like a somebody he was a spy i think it was will smith was it will oh smith? yeah yeah no 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 gemini man <laughs> <laughs> thank you i knew it was something like that man oh, god that man. was a terrible movie so bad it was so hilarious bad. um no i do love symptomatic movies or or movies uh, me that are too. Read symptomatically <laughs> I, I watched a couple weeks ago i watched um cherry 2000 with melanie griffith uh from like the 80s where this guy's like sex robot uh malfunctions and he has to go into like the badland it's basically a, a sci-fi western like he has to go into the badlands sort of indian country but like a hundred years from now you know to get um uh uh a new like hard drive for his like sex robot or something and <laughs> Melanie Griffith plays like the, the 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 tracker who's helping him, like the kind of like um, yeah, the kind of tracker who helps him navigate. And of course, they end up falling in in love uh, over the you know he falls in love with a real live flesh and blood right, woman. Right, right, right. Yeah, exactly. Oh man, it was awesome. It was so stupid. <laughs> um, it was really really good. But it's it was of a piece of all those kind of like. Uh, you know, like her, I mean, like her and Ex Machina mm-hmm. and all the way mm-hmm. back to Metropolis mm-hmm. and that kind of thing of the the kind of cyborg woman um, and and that kind of stuff. It reminded me, to, well, no, it didn't really remind me, but of uh, Upgrade. Did you ever, did I, I told you about Upgrade, but I don't think you ever watched, did you ever watch it? Where the guy basically has been, he's in this catastrophic car accident and then he, and then like against his will, unbeknownst to him, he is like, completely rebuilt as like a cyborg with like a CPU and he's got like a, a machine consciousness that can take over his body and then be, make, turn him into like a Kung Fu, you know, destroy obot or whatever. And it was really good and stupid too. But like, uh, and, when is that from? It's only, it's recent. It's like 2018 or 17 or something like that. Upgrade. Upgrade. Yeah, it's. Oh, I'll definitely watch that. It's. You should watch it. Actually, you would. You would like that one. It is. It is. Uh, it's quite something. Um, Kim Stanley Robinson's novels aren't really like those types of movies. Huh? No, no, they're they're not. <laughs> Although I do feel what's an interesting thing about like that transition between sci-fi literature and into sci-fi film is that the nexus and and Robinson has talked about this a lot. The nexus between them is often Philip K. Dick. So a lot of those mm. like cheesy science, like, I don't know, cheesy. I, I use cheesy in a, in a loose way, but like those cheesy science fiction movies or those dystopian science fiction movies, it's likely that they bring, they take a lot from Philip K. Dick. Although like they're probably misreading Philip K. Dick or only selectively <laughs> reading him in very profound ways. And of course, like, you know, Robinson is a, a scholar of PKD. Right, so right. <clears throat> uh, it's an interesting kind of like, you know, uh, uh, genealogical divergence there between from, you know, like uh, along the literature cinema uh, uh, axis or something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and some of that is the kind of, you know, it's like, maybe even less sort of being actually influenced by like somebody having say read Philip yes, K. Dick. Exactly. Um, yeah. So much as like, you know, there's a way in which that like uh, ideas about what Philip K. Dick novels are and what they do and that, and that sort of mode of science fiction then comes to kind of um, 
that like stands in for like what science fiction is or something yeah, for sure. like that, mm-hmm. right? I mean, and and some of that I feel like also, you know, ha- some of that has to also be because like Blade Runner, a movie that is not very much like mm-hmm. its Philip K. Dick source material at all, but mm-hmm. an amazing movie is just mm-hmm. like so incredibly influential, like for thinking about like what an SF movie mm-hmm. is, I think, you yeah. know, that, it, that it kind of stands in this place. Uh, um, yeah. Yeah. I think that's kind of interesting because I, I just, um, uh, I was just reading a William, the most recent William Gibson novel. Did we talk mm-hmm. about this on the no. podcast? No. So. Um, like I'm, I'm not like a Gibson fan, um, but mm-hmm. I have read a lot of his novels, and I think it, it's interesting because he is also, as an F, SF writer, somebody who's kind of like, I don't know, like his mood or the mode of his novels is so like very, extremely culturally influential, you know, mm-hmm. so that it became the case that like you know, kind of cyberpunk really came to stand mm-hmm. in for like science fiction itself right and mm-hmm. like when people say that is like sci- that that's like science fictiony you know mm-hmm. when they like want you know when that's like a way to describe something like often what they mean is like it's like a william gibson mm-hmm. novel um yeah it would be interesting yeah. to think more about that in a, in it's a way not that- it's not very good by the way the most recent um <laughs> inc- it includes like a i mean i just it includes like a so it's like a um kind of a multiple worlds branching uh branching worlds kind of novel mm-hmm. uh and it, it includes a uh scenario in which um hillary clinton won the election but we get this with a lot of like kind of like wink wink nudge nudging and i just felt like wow william gibson you know like you're an old man now because <laughs> you think that's cool or whatever it's i don't really know just like so fucking pedestrian, unbelievable. Really pushing you know. the boundaries, man. Whoa. <laughs> what a different world it would be. Um, yeah. I, uh, yeah, no, I, yeah, Burroughs and Dick both um, stand in for, like, an idea of what their books are about, stand in for an yeah, idea yeah. of what yeah. science fiction is in a way that's exactly opposite or, like, that, that just simply doesn't exist for. Um, Octavia Butler or Ursula Le Guin yes. or Joanna yep. Russ or yep. something like that. And it's really, you know, uh, a signifier, uh, an indicator of our, of like how deeply like patriarchy like suffuses our culture and just like mm-hmm. the idea that um, these other, at least equally, but actually probably way more so amazing, more amazing um, SF authors, um, authoresses. <laughs> um, <laughs> if you will. <laughs> if you will. Um, just absolutely are, are completely shunted aside when it comes to the culture industry, which is like probably on balance, maybe might be, could be a good thing. Just so yeah, that they're, yeah, they're yeah. not, um, you know, bastardized if you will by uh the the profit motive that drives hollywood not that the profit motive doesn't also drive like the publishing industry publishing yeah but you know it's a it's it is a completely different um uh medium and uh and industry too so anyway um but uh we're talking about uh the years of rice and salt and uh we're talking about this week is on book nine 
Nasara. How do you pronounce this? Nasara. Nasara. That, that's what I. That's what I was saying too. Nasara. Nasara. And um, Nasara. this book is one of the longest of the of the um, of the novels, and it actually just <clears throat> in. Um, it's funny that we started talking. The, just something in what we were just talking about reminded me of the sort of like correction that I wanted to make, even though no one has called me out on this and I'm sure they wouldn't because you know, why would they waste their time doing that? But last week I, I was, I said something <laughs> about like, you know, what's the space of like literature in a Kim Stanley Robinson future or whatever. And of course I have like some amne- memory hole or some amnesia about this because, and we talk, cause we talk about this all the time, like how his books, <laughs> I don't know why I'm so stupid, but we talk about this all the time about like how his books are like not only about scientists, but they're they are littered with poets and poetry and sculpture and music and the arts and stuff. And I think last Mm -hmm. week, um, you know, there was just an absence of that. Um, But it is it was also I think the question I was asking was or just the issue I was raising was it that it's interesting that um, reviewers and uh, people who interview Stan about his books don't bring this up. They bring up they they think that his books are about like colonizing Mars or something, and not about yeah. like people and how they inhabit the world and imagine the world and live toward a future um, and live toward a utopia. And in his novels, deeply ingrained with and alongside and intersecting with. Um, the way that science does that, what we understand as like the hard sciences, um, intertwined with all of that is the way that poets and musicians and and other kinds of artists do that as well. And here there's like some amazing examples of that, especially in this like alternate history where because of the importance of the Travancore Empire in creating a civilization built on sense, S-C-E-N-T-S, on smells um, and selling smells and perfumes and incense and stuff, you have artists who put on performances of scents, of smells, right? Um, Which is a completely fascinating thing to imagine um, in contradistinction exactly to um, the culture industry that we have, which is built on uh, sights and vision and spectacle, right? Of like of, of yeah, disassociated yeah, yeah. viewers objectively viewing something either on a stage or in a screen. Um, uh, and and so it's a completely different kind of way of thinking about how to manipulate your senses, S-E-N-S-E-S, S-E-N-S-E-S. Um to create an aesthetic uh, experience, right? Anyway. Yeah, I mean, and I think just to pick up on a thing that you were saying, I, you know, there's there's a lot that goes on in this chapter, and I feel like no way are we going to talk about the whole thing because right. it, it actually is like, it's very, uh, it's rich in multiple different kinds of ways, and it really is kind of like, it is like kind of like a little novel. Yeah. Um, you know, it's also in a novelistic mode a kind of mm-hmm. I, I think recognizably novelistic mode but I was just thinking about one of the sort of themes in the chapter um uh is um uh, is a kind of like play with um 
the idea of like uh, the sciences, science and like the humanities or whatever as like the sort of two cultures, right? That do things mm -hmm. entirely differently, right? Mm -hmm. So that like, you know, Budur like gets uh, her aunt, uh, is her aunt Adelba? Adelba. Yes. Um, so like, you know, Adelba is like, well, okay, this history class sounds fine, but maybe you could do something like archaeology where there are actually facts and numbers, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? And we have some very interesting kind of play with these things. Um, and I think there's often this sort of assumption made in keeping with that idea that, like, you know, the arts and humanities and the sciences are two, you know, are two really just, like, separate domains, right? Mm -hmm. And and not, you know, co-productive of one another. Mm -hmm. um, and one, you know, one makes serious knowledge. Like, if you believe, if you believe in science, whatever that would mean, right. like, you believe that that's where, like, knowledge is made. And and thus, you know, you would have to be suspicious or at, the, at best, like, kind of gently condescending about the sort mm -hmm. of knowledge that gets made in other domains, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, uh, and so I think sometimes there's an assumption about um, science fiction like this, and, and I think like, <clears throat> you know, about Stan's writing, um, that because it takes science and scientists very seriously, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. it must also give some kind of like absolute like epistemological authority or something to science itself. And that's like science, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Um, as opposed to what I think that like is always happening in Stan's novels that we've talked about a lot, which is like, you know, science is always seen as a process of engagement with the world of testing, um, mm -hmm. of, you know, like, um, Produ producing knowledge rather than like, you know, a set of like written in stone knowledges, right? Mm -hmm. It's like a way of asking questions and approaching that can produce certain kinds of knowledge. And I feel like this chapter, like, as you were just saying, I mean, the amazing kind of like detour in the middle where she's briefly spending time with the musician who does this like crazy, like, mm -hmm. you know, kind of trance based like recovery of like, uh, long disappeared musical forms, like, you know, uh, uh, we really get this kind of, would uh, we get that taken, you know, I mean, in many ways, like developed as, with as much kind of like care and thoughtfulness as uh, Aunt Adelba's, um, you know, basically like um, uh, delving into, right, the atom itself, right? You mm -hmm, know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like there's a real, like there's a real sense of um, the thing that we're interested in here is not like a single strain of knowledge production about the world, but instead the world, which is full of all kinds of all kinds of things, all kinds of knowledges, you yeah. know, um, and, and which do different kinds of things and are necessary in different kinds of ways. Yeah. And both are treated actually with, um, a great deal of, uh, care and thoughtfulness. Um, it, it's not like we get, you know, we get an explanation of the theory of, 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 of e equals MC mm. squared, and we get an explanation of radioactivity and that kind of thing, but it's not like an overt, overly scientific one or scientistic one, if you want to call it that. It's it's not something that we need to get our, you know, return to our like textbooks about or something like that. And and uh, so it's very kind of a popular science kind of very accessible thing that, you, you know, most people probably know if they remember anything at all from not even just high school, but like popular culture about what EMC mm. e equals MC <laughs> squared is. 
And similarly, we, we have we have something similar about um, the nature of history and um, the nature of music and what it can do and the kinds of, um, you know, uh, ideas that, that that belong to the production of those those sets of knowledges as well. Um, and it's not like we're we're you know we're we're forced to to go into like uh, the theory of history or anything like that. Um, these are he does work in a kind of. I want to say commonsensical vein, but that would be like a little bit diminishing of it, I think. Um, uh, but it's just very accessible way of uh, thinking about those knowledges and um, and those systems of producing knowledge that is that um, that that bring to light the fact that they are both sort of active um, uh, uh, modes, both in the novel and um, in our own in our own world, right? Because they are active in different ways in the novel than they are in, in our world as well. I mean, they, they mean different things to the characters. The characters use different language to talk about them um, and different um, kind of epistemological traditions uh, to, to think about them. And, and, uh, uh, yeah. I mean, and I, we could, I think to me, this chapter feels a little bit like um, you know, it takes um, the alchemist's chapter where we see mm-hmm. the kind of like um, um, this really like extraordinary series of experiments toward gaining a natural scientific understanding of the world. It takes that chapter and then the um, the chapter I keep thinking is called The Years of Rice and Salt, the Widow, Widow Kong. Uh, the Widow Kong chapter, um, where we see... Um, this kind of uh, um, the the bringing together of sort of different mode, different sort of like um, modes of writing and um, understanding history, right? Mm-hmm. You know, like Kong with her interest in writing a history um, of people who are not understood generally to have a history that is women, and she does this like through their poetry, right? Her partner, whose name I'm forgetting because my brain is a sieve Ibrahim Ibrahim um, Ibrahim his his like you know great sort of like synthetic project so here in this chapter um and and in the city we get this kind of glimpse and and really this is like a um it's like not this is not a utopian chapter but there is a kind of glimmer of something about like um what like modernity and urban life can Mm be because um in this city by the sea (laughs) where it's always gray Mm -hmm. um also there's this incredibly vital vital like intellectual life that happens not only because there are schools there um but also because there are bars and cafes and places mm-hmm. where people can do performances. And there's this kind of like, I mean, so, you know, like the, the, like, in some ways, like the essence of the chapter is like, uh, a person from the provinces in this case, a woman, right. Yes. And a lot of this chapter is about, is about femininity and women. Um, but you know, a person from the provinces, comes to the city right and and experiences like the sort of extraordinary possibilities there are for living with others right so there's a way in which this like the the sort of 
um, the pro all of the kinds of projects that go into thinking about how one writes history, right, and what the stakes are, um, and even whether it's worth writing history or not, and as well as the kind of natural scientific projects that are going on are like brought together in this rather extraordinary um, space in this like kind of interregnum period because we're just after the horrifying mm. war. Um, we're in a moment, we learn that um, the uh, Islamic countries have been forced to pay like extraordinary reparations um, mm. at the end of the war that they have lost. Um, that they're still struggling with what it means to live in relation to clear Chinese domination. Mm -hmm. um, but we also, a, a sort of like set of possibilities as human beings have become increasingly mobile across the globe, um, as like uh, there has been increasing investment and interest in like collaborative ways of like um, doing knowledge production, mm -hmm. you know, uh, this period, this sort of post-war period also becomes this period of just like great possibility, right? Um, mm -hmm. And we get that here, we get that in, you know, in the urban scene, in the place where like you can like take a tram and, and find yourself in an entirely different neighborhood or run into a bunch of people at a cafe or take a class with a, you know, motley crew of, mm -hmm. um, of people, <laughs> you know, and all of this, all of this like together produces this kind of, this sense of like, um, an intellectual world that, you know, like, you know, makes me think of like the, the demimonde on Mars, right. Um, mm -hmm. you know, one of the key places, not only for like the production of ideas, but for political foment too, right. And ultimately this chapter does get to a place where we see like, um, some rather extraordinary, like political events take place too. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that the, the fact that, um, all, let me think, all of the characters in this, all the main sort of Jati characters, except for one, uh, but the, 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 the core Jati characters, the KB and I characters are all, are all women in this chapter mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. is really significant and interesting. Um, because one, one thing that the chapter sort of confronts us with in, in the story of, of, of uh, Boudoir's um, traveling from the provinces to the city and kind of becoming an independent woman person um, is that uh, the chapter confronts us with the, with the fact that certain knowledges and forms of knowledge production have only been available to a very select segment of uh, human civilization for the length of, for, you know, for the duration of our time as a species, you know, or, or mm -hmm. at least for the time of uh, that, that counts as civilization, namely like men are scientists and women are, are not right. Like women are relegated to a certain role, which has its own forms of knowledge production, right. Um, and its own knowledges, but it, it, that, that, uh, it doesn't, it, it is that womanhood is excluded from the, the quote unquote hard sciences. And it seems that, you know, this one of the things this chapter does is confront us with the fact that, like, in order for, you know, that science actually 
it it matters who does science right like who mm -hmm. is who who is in command of producing this knowledge it matters not in the kind of sense of like oh you're a girl boss and like women can be whatever they want to be and all that kind of stuff but actually your experience of reality actually you know does impact your the 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 ways in which and the reasons for which you pursue knowledge and build knowledge and if that's the case, then the knowledge that you build is going to be, uh, or be, if, if not different, then presented differently, um, absorbed differently. And in this case, um, Idelba is intent on making sure that the knowledge that she is uh, at the forefront of producing, namely what she uh, believes to be what we would call the atomic bomb, um, cannot be used right like that this is a form of knowledge that actually needs to be shared widely so that it is never actually you know utilized um, rather than being a secret form of knowledge a, a form of knowledge that is um, the, the monopoly uh, of the state um, and uh, that that it needs to be um, you know at a uh, 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 widely known and also collaboratively built so that it can be also collaboratively contained. I think that's like um, yeah. a really important feature of this chapter. Yeah. I mean, and it seems like she, I, yeah. So I think uh, it's, it seems like she is able to have the kind of, you know, basically, I guess, like moral or ethical clarity on that that she does, like, partly because this is a place where, uh, you know, uh, scientific research and experiment is not being carried out under the auspices of the state, right? right. Um, uh, you know, um, and, and in fact, uh, you know, I think some of that, like, um, you know, the sense, I mean, ultimately, like, you know, the state tries to, like, <laughs> tries mm -hmm. to, like, get, uh, you know, like literally just like take her notes away from mm -hmm. her mm -hmm. and um uh in a particularly great sequence of mm -hmm. or crawling around mm -hmm. <laughs> having mm -hmm. to hide stuff um uh but you know that so that's part of it but then i think yeah it's also it seems to have something to do with the way in which um Adelba has some kind of very direct experience of not only from the ways that women are um precluded from being parts of from being part of certain kinds of um knowledge production mm -hmm. um but also the ways in which women are maybe actually participating in those kinds of knowledge production and are not um uh recognized as mm -hmm. doing that right mm -hmm. i mean because one of the part of the contrast is that like i think for budur like you know, she she comes from a very conservative family in what seems to be a pretty conservative um, little region, right? Um, uh, and, you know, she understands that the sort of like, um, you know, for her, like, she has a strong sense that the ways in which, um, you know, the world is divided up unequally based on gender is wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, but she also thinks that that is just like, well, that just is like the way that things go, right? This mm -hmm. is how people live. Um, and you know, when she gets to the city, she meets, um, not only does she live in a, 
uh, like living situation, uh, the Zuia, mm-hmm. this like women's, uh, this women's like, you know, boarding house slash commune is completely, you know, a completely unfamiliar situation and extremely and revelatory to her. Mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also like she starts meeting women who actually like, uh, you know, they they lead um, full intellectual mm-hmm. productive productive lives right Mm -hmm, Um, and mm -hmm. public lives too Mm -hmm. and and that kind of so there's a there's a really interesting kind of like back and forth between the like um you know uh the sort of um the sense that there is like you know um that we are thinking here about patriarchy right yeah hang on and that like hang on uh We're thinking about patriarchy and then like, We're thinking about patriarchy. and then a man comes in and tells you to shut up. <laughs> uh, well, you know, there, yeah. that's, wait, wait, wait. Oh, it's still, no. it's still robot. It's still voice. fucked up. It's okay. We're, we're getting, we're coming back. Okay. Try it now. We're thinking about patriarchy. And how does it sound now? That's great. Patriarchy. It sounds good to me. Uh, <laughs> <but> <laughs> We're thinking about that, but also we're thinking about the way in which, like, you know, um, what it is to, like, think about, like, um, the kinds of the the way in which power and um, possibility gets distributed that we call patriarchy is not the same as just thinking about, like, a sort of absolute rule in which, like, you know, women are, in fact, like, mm-hmm. um, entirely kept from public life right right? Mm -hmm. i mean so there's a kind of i i mean i i think that that like i like that aspect of this chapter that a lot of the places where we get to um you know certain kinds of um you know shibboleths of western uh feminism Mm -hmm. uh, about islam right like the Mm -hmm. veil or the Mm -hmm. harem or whatever we actually here see a more complicated picture right i mean we have delba say like well you know i mean like you can choose to wear the hijab or you cannot choose to wear the hijab right mm-hmm. i mean you know I, i'm not going to wear it in a lab if it's going to get in my way mm-hmm. right i mean so that so the kind of like um i I, th- I think that that you know there's a lot of uh there are a number of things in the chapter that i think um could be very like uh are, are done much more subtly Right, mm-hmm. you know, that don't actually sort of just repeat the kind of canard that, like, you know, oh, Milton, don't do that. <laughs> Sorry, Milton is chewing on my headphones cord. Oh. Uh, something he really likes to do. Delicious. Okay, stop. It's delicious. It's great for his teeth. Now, I think he might chew on the microphone cord now. Um, okay. Anyway, you know what I'm saying. It's like a, we get we get the we get a complex picture, and we don't get the kind of picture that what it means. That like, you know, we don't know about, uh, we don't know that many, we don't know the names of famous women scientists before some year is that there were no women scientists. That's not true, right? You know, this is like the kind of, I was once in a panel with some man who was like, well, you know, there weren't really any women who wrote anything, um, <laughs> you know, there before the 19th century. And really the right. first famous woman writer is Virginia Woolf. And I just felt like, 
well, okay, I, I mean, it's just like it was very, very stupid. But I also felt like you're kind of saying a thing that like people say and they think they're saying like a feminist thing, which is right. like there weren't any. Right, right, right. Right? But that's not true. Yeah, because true. women were so oppressed. <laughs> exactly. Women were oh, kept they were in so oppressed. They were prevented from uh, reading or talking to other people. They never, yeah. Um, yeah, so I wanted here, it's, to, oh, yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. No, you go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, no. I was just, I was going to like switch gears a little bit. So you should say what you were going to say. I was just going to say like, it's interesting too, that the, the point of women's rights here is something that we get a lot of different, as you were sort of alluding to, like a little, a lot of flavors of, and a lot of like, uh, uh, angles on the, on that kind of issue, because we, you, on 592, there's the monologue by Adelba about the veil, um, and what it means. And like, you can wear it and you can not wear it. And sometimes it's good to wear it because it's like a magic you know, it's like a, a magic magician queen's cape or something because you can <laughs> do certain things. And then you have um, Karana, who's the other, you know, amazing uh, sort of, uh, you know, matriarchal figure, if you will, in the chapter who's who's doing her own form of knowledge production in, in history and philosophy, saying, you know, positing the thesis on 606 that it's actually the fact that China and Travancore and Ying Zhao had women's rights and that's why they won the war and Islam's backwardness um, and keeping women in the veil uh, and in the harem is what, you know, cost us the war. And it's, it's one of her many, you know, it's, it's part of her grand thesis about kind of like why Islam won the war and what, you know, uh, uh, and her striving toward uh, figuring out what it would be like to be a modern uh, Muslim, right? Um, mm -hmm. And um, yeah, so it's part of it. There, there's there's both those things going on, and I think Karana and Idelba are such fascinating characters in the way and the venues in which they produce their knowledge are so interesting too. One has to like hide behind you know uh, closed doors and and um, sneak around, and then Karana is just like outwardly. Um, talking about it in classes and schools and scandalizing people and with no worry that she's that the secret police are going to come and like knock down her door or anything like that. No, we, it's such an interesting, I think uh, among, uh, among the many things that are like amazing in this chapter is the kind of, um, you know, like the variation or the development that we get of both the B and the K characters mm -hmm. here um, because in many ways, like, you know, Karana, is, I mean, I, I mean, she's pretty clearly still the tiger, you know, oh, for sure. um, and she, uh, um, I mean, and, and the sort of like, um, you know, her kind of, uh, her, de you know, her desire to like, get to the, get to the truth of things, um, and also, like you know, uh, kind of like uh, what, like bla blast through the falsehoods. Mm -hmm. You know, she gives. Mm -hmm. She's like gives no quarter. I mean, she's not like subtle mm -hmm. <laughs> in any way. Mm -hmm. I mean, even when she's like you know um, uh, seducing Buddha, she's like, "Have you read Sappho?" <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, she's, she's ferocious. So like, that's mm -hmm. what, that's what she, you know, and she's there to like, she's not going to do this, like, um, you know, uh, painstaking, like kind of, um, 
uh, archaeological history or whatever it is. Right, like she right, wants, right. she wants to make the big claims. She wants to make the big sure. arguments. And in some ways, it's like we see her come into her own right toward the end when she's like in her hospital bed, but she's still like you know fomenting this mass insurrection out right. there. You know, like right. that's what she's that's what she's in it for. But it's in such a different mode, right? You know, like she has really come a very long way from that. Um, from seeing like your desire, your rage against like hierarchy um, as requiring you to act through violence mm -hmm. to like turning that into a way of like, this is also about getting people to understand how the world works and how it should work. This is mm -hmm. about writing history in order to make a future happen, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. um, and Boudoir also, I think is a really interesting variant on the B characters because I think she, we get these, I think one of my favorite things about this chapter is it has these really beautiful passages of her sort of like, like her mental life, her reverie, her revelation, mm -hmm. um, the world opening before her, sen you know, sensation, as you were saying before, is important in the chapter. I, I think some of those passages are just like really... Um, they're really lovely. They're really evocative. Um, and they they certainly connect to that, the way in which the B characters tend to have, like, you know, have the spiritual sense, right? And and see the light in the world. And she has some of that. Um, but she's also, like, um, you know, uh, she's a very different kind of creature than the earlier variants that we've seen, yeah. I think. I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that she is a young woman, like living in a city for the first time. And in effect, kind of in a certain way, like going to college. I mean, there's been so many yeah. stories in the news to, uh, just this past week about freshmen returning to college and already planning parties and stuff like that, uh, which is horrifying, but also completely understandable um, in a certain way. But also uh, it's it's easy to in the midst of the pandemic to lose sight of the of the kind of incredible feeling it, it it is to be a freshman in college away from home for the first time mm -hmm. and to finally like be uh some semblance of free in a way you've never been free before right and by is definitely no, by uh boudoir is definitely you know experiencing that um in a sense in and in a way that is like you know it's incredibly like heady experience for her um, both because of, of like her personally, but also like her kind of like the horizon of possibilities that existed for her uh, prior to her life in Nasara, where she was had had been like just uh, you know confined to the haram harem in um, in the old in uh, Tuni is that where she was um, Tunis, Turi Turi um, Turin and. Um, uh, so that like the, the, she's suddenly experiencing something she maybe never thought she would be able to experience before. Um, and uh, it's this, and, and like smoking opium <laughs> and going to like, for example, smoking opium, music shows, but there's a having great sex moment. with musicians, you know, yeah, having sex with musicians, <laughs> having an affair with her professor, you know, um, um, on um, 652, there's a great um, example of that. Um, they walked across the last bridge arm in arm, laughing and talking, then into the city center, trams squealing over tracks, people hurrying by. Boudoir looked at the passing faces curiously, remembering the worn visage of the fake guru, businesslike and hard. 
No doubt Karana was right to laugh. All the old myths were just stories. The, old, the only reincarnation you got was the next day's waking. No one else was you, not the you that existed a year before, not the you that might exist 10 years from now, or even the next day. It was a matter of the moment, some unimaginable minimum of time, always already gone. Memory was partial, a dim, tawdry room in a beat-up neighborhood, illuminated by flashes of distant lighting, lightning. Once she had been a girl in a good merchant's harem, but what did that matter now? Not, now she was a free woman in Nasara, crossing the city at night with a group of laughing intellectuals. That was all there was. It made her laugh, too, a painful, wild shout of a laugh, full of a joy akin to ferocity. That was what Karana really gave in exchange for her food. I think that passage is so interesting because... It is this expression of like incredible freedom, incredible uh, uh, sense of, of everything being new all the time and that nothing and that the past not really mattering. But it also gives exactly that same um, sense in the negative way. I mean, there's a hint of that in the in in the experience of modernity itself of like, mm-hmm. you know, everything being new. Um that the past doesn't matter, that you're inventing everything for yourself and um, and nothing that has ever happened is, is is important. You can discount everything and everything can be reinvented anew, which is like that kind of, that phrase, all that is solid melts into air, right? Like that, mm. that, that we're <laughs> that just- that good phrase that we're just like constantly that we're in a, that that we're that we're unmoored from history that it doesn't matter and of course that's just uh, that is a kind of a, a an illusion of modernity that um, that uh, uh, you know is a dangerous one as well it's 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 very seductive but it's seductive because in in a sense it's very it's a very dangerous thing to to have in mind. Yeah, I think that this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean that. Uh, that helps me think about something that I was interested in in this chapter, which is that I think that the sort of, um, I, you know, I think, I think this has happened throughout the novel that there is a kind of, um, the chapters also do, um, in, in the variations that they make on like, you know, the formal variations from chapter to chapter Mm -hmm. and the kind of like implicit references to, um, uh, to novels or whatever that Mm -hmm. are maybe like the kind of inspiration for the way in which that chapter works. Mm -hmm. I think that they, there's a way in which each one of the chapters also tries to kind of get it, get at something like a structure of feeling, you know, Mm -hmm. of a particular moment in time. And, Mm -hmm. and, you know, this, this chapter to me, feels I mean some things about it could not possibly uh, don't fit well with this but it feels very much like the particularly that it's about women but it feels very much about the kind of um uh you know uh the sort of I, I like the the affects or the feelings or something of the post World War Two moment, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Not the sort of like you know shiny American version mm-hmm. of things, um, but more like kind of um, the existential questioning, right? I think there's like you know she seems to in many ways have these kinds of moments of, um, or maybe the narrator, you know, the narrator's there is a kind of narrative Mm. voice in here and Mm -hmm. that narrative voice may also sort of suggest that that's what these moments are that she's experiencing, but it's sort of like, you know, existential choice making, right. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, the confrontation of the self with the self or whatever. Um, but also, and that fits really well with the thing that like, 
we as readers know better than Boudour knows, which is that also hanging around here is the specter of of the nuclear, right? right. The specter of the atom bomb, mm-hmm. um, of that possibility. And even though things are going to actually turn out quite differently, um, uh, like remarkably differently, um, you know, there is some there is some sense of that. I mean, I think this really fits with like. Um, the the version the version of thinking about being modern mm-hmm. um, that kind of works that that is part of like the mid twentieth century you know mm-hmm. what I mean mm-hmm. um, um, which I think and and so then we get the these kind of so Boudour then as the B character here um, you know her kind of spirit you know she her spiritual reflections become much more like philosophical reflections right Mm -hmm. or you know they're more about like um trying to understand something about her place in the world and the apprehension of things that like you know that are more than material or whatever um it's part of a reflective process that's like a little that is different than the sort of like understanding herself as apprehending like you know the presence of god in the world or something mm-hmm. like that as the b characters often do right mm-hmm. um i think it's that uh i just i love that this chapter is like so um so so much happens in it um it's so kind of um really full of like the stuff that like we could loosely call world building because we learn a lot about what has happened to the world. Right. I mean, in the last chapter, you know, we were so immersed like in this like horrible, unchanging moment of war. Right. Mm-hmm. And here we're in this place where like both it turns out the world has changed enormously and there's so much going on. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet also material circumstances, um, and like the accretions of power across primarily like you know um three great kind of state organizations right and um, put real limits on people's lives too yeah that part is really interesting the i mean the kind of um one of the things that the that the characters in this book in in nasara are experiencing is something that's it's almost like the freedom that comes with defeat like, like their empire mm-hmm. has been defeated so totally that what else do they have to lose? They yeah. might as well like rethink yeah. all of history and rethink all of science. Um, and, you know, that there's almost nothing, you know, they've suffered so greatly already that uh, there must, that they, that there's a kind of like elation of uh, pushing boundaries and, and thinking thoughts that uh, they weren't supposed to think in the, in the, in, uh, prior to mm-hmm. that. But then also what's so fascinating is their defeat is not, it's not a, um, it's not really a unilateral defeat because there's also moments in the world building in this chapter that we understand that China itself is going through enormous political upheavals as well. Right. So right. not only is, is uh, Firanji, um, you know, in experiencing the kind of hyperinflation and famine uh, Faranja, excuse me, uh, experiencing the kind of hyperinflation that Germany experienced after World War One. Um, not only are they experiencing a famine that um, you know many defeated empires and countries experience um, after you know horrific wars, but that similar things are happening, or maybe not similar, but parallel things are happening in China as well, and mm-hmm. that um, it. 
and that um, because of the nature of the Haudenosaunee um, kind of like uh, conglomerate or league or whatever, and the Travancore League as being, you know, smaller, like geographically than either of uh, Dar al-Islam or China, um, there's nobody who's really, there's no global superpower. Uh, right as well. So there, there's still this, there's this massive like sort of negotiation going on um, globally, as well as the negotiation that's just happening within Islam itself, trying to modernize itself um, and trying to pick up its, its piece, you know, the pieces of its broken, of its broken empire um, and, and, and trying to avoid, you know, essentially like military dictatorship or some kind of enormous backsliding into a, a regressive uh, uh, gender politics uh, to say nothing of kind of just, um, anti-democratic, uh, you know, um, movements, uh, in general. And, and it also seems like we're increasingly seeing, I mean, here we see it quite explicitly in the, the conference that is, um, comes toward the end of the chapter. Um, but also really in the like more and less informal, um, you know, collectives that we see mm-hmm. all over this chapter. And mm-hmm. in some ways, it the we, we're seeing how much, like, um, people are starting to constitute, like, multiple different um, ways of living and being together that are not organized under the auspices of state or empire, mm-hmm. um, you know, and the, so... The, the sort of the sci- you know the the scientists like part of their kind of a, imagining is like well we could be advice givers to states right, right? but we also see like um, how much how much is going on everywhere without there being anything like a state I mean the Travancore's and then the Haudenosaunee mm-hmm. uh, seem to already show us that like you don't need a state right mm-hmm. um, but then you know f- hear from like um, the Zawiya, the women's the uh, the the women's dorm <laughs> that mm-hmm. she lives in, which, which is you an know, old which, museum, which is an which is an which is an old how museum. How cool is that? Ugh. I know anyway. it's 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 fantastic. It's fantastic, and yeah. also that she has that great moment where she's like, "Oh, you know what is actually?" Um, she learned. She has a huge revelation about the division of labor. Mm. Um, such an important like utopian revelation to have, which is mm-hmm. that like um, it's good to both cook and clean um, and not to like, not to be like, we need to assign particular people those tasks. Um, You know, there's the hospital with the wounded soldiers who, you know, Mm -hmm. seem so passive. I mean, like, you know, just like the living record of this horrifying trauma and they seem very passive or pacified, but of course they in, you know, like uh, for me, like very tear inducing moment, like come, you know, come out to stand with the insurrectionary crowd. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the crowd itself, uh, you know, standing in defiance of, Mm -hmm. um, of, of the state, uh, uh, even like the sort of like the collections of like artists and historians and whatever at the cafes or like, you know, these like these weirdo like white people still alive in the Orkneys who are like mm-hmm. hearty fishermen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's just like all over the place what we're seeing. I mean, and this should, of course, be like uh, well, this should, of course, be familiar from the um, the Mars books is that like 
people are developing like collective ways of life or here when they go to Iran and there's this whole um, like sector of people who are like thinking about like, well, you know, this is Iranian culture and like, you Mm. know, we can like make our own, you know, we can like think of uh, our own kind of way of doing things. It's based on our history and all of this research into like how people used to live and what things used to look like is partly a way for people to think about how they want to live now. And, and there's this like great, just like multiplicity of how people are living. Um, And it's like, you know, it's not Mars. So it's not happening in a place where there was nothing it's actually happening on a planet that is like you know just like saturated is saturated with human history as well as all of the other kinds of like you know life there are um but nonetheless we're seeing this these developments taking place all over the place and thus it feels like this is like exciting for us too you know like are we gonna see like the dwindling of empires or the death of empires are we going to get to see the possibility that like you know people can live in like radically different ways and yet still communicate with each other and learn with each other and think with each other um Mm -hmm. yeah that's cool and (laughs) pretty cool yeah and that's pretty cool and that um what's so interesting too is again going back to so like yeah there's it's another robinsonian example of like there's different life ways happening all the, all over the place all the time. Like I was just in a, um, a reading group conversation yesterday uh, about, and, and part of the tenor of part of the conversation was like, you know, well, what, how, what's going to come after capitalism or what, what's, you know, now that we all live this way, is there another way to live? And I'm like, you know, that we don't all live this way, right? Like we, yeah. the human race, like there are still uncontacted tribes in the Amazon. Like, there are, the people have been getting along very fine without refrigerators and cell phones for like many, many millennia. And it will not be the end of the world if, you know, we don't have refrigerators and cell phones anymore. It'll be bad, but <laughs> but it'll be bad for, you know, a select group of people who happen to be, you know, a very large select group of people, but it'll be bad, but it won't be like whatever humanity finds a way it always has right um until it can't anymore because we're all going to die from being drowned and like uh, radiation in our water and all that kind of shit but yeah yeah <laughs> uh-huh speaking speaking of radiation though one of the cool oh, things yeah. that happens here is like <laughs> that discovery not only of like the atom bomb but of carbon dating which mm-hmm. is yeah, another awesome. way in which history as a science um is sort of invented in this chapter such that a couple of different things happen. Archaeology is presented itself as a wish or dare I say a utopia, even it, even there could be utopian archaeology, right? That we could like look back to the past for examples of what the future could, could be, what's something that we could work toward. Um, not something that's just dead, but that's something that could still be alive in our in our current way of living and that we could cultivate and, 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 and make anew, And also that that archeology span and that carbon dating and that investigation in the past allows the characters in this book to look back and recognize themselves in characters in previous books in mm-hmm. the novel, which is so in a way that's not just the kind of seance that Madame Suri, um, Madame Sururi does that Kirana mocks so mercilessly that turns out 
to be true because Madame Saruri meets them in it is part of their job. Indeed. <laughs> in the Bardo. Indeed, there she it's, is. It's not just a matter of religion or 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 or, um, or superstition or anything like that. It actually is part of like the archaeological record. Like there's this just amazing moment when Badur comes across a poster presentation at the Isfahan conference and she is struck with recognition that hey that's me and my friends buried in a mountain in, in a in a in a landslide in Tibet from thousands of years I, ago it's such a so there there's so many things that are extraordinary about this right i mean and that this is such a different way i mean just as you just like captured this is like such a different way of um of the memory of past life coming back to you right is to like see see it at a conference a, yeah <laughs> a poster presentation as a conference but also um uh the um so it turns out that they left uh messages behind right yeah. goodbye messages um and on um 695 uh some of them had even written down goodbye messages. She looked at the photos of the messages crammed into the margin of a religious book. The handwriting was clear and it looked like Sanskrit. The Arabic translation underneath one had a homely sound. We have been buried by a big avalanche and cannot get out. Kenpo is still trying, but it is not going to work. The air is getting bad. We do not have much time. In this house, we are Kenpo, Iwang, Sidpa, Zasep, Dagyab, Tenga, and Baram. Punsak left just before the avalanche hit. We don't know what happened to him. All existence is like a reflection in the mirror without substance, a phantom of the mind. We will take form again in another place. All praise to Buddha the Compassionate. Uh, which is, you know, the something about like the simplicity of the note left mm -hmm. behind. It's kind of like, you know, everyday capturing of something mm -hmm. uh the assertion at the at the end buddha the compassionate and like uh you know in the moment of insurrection we also get like um the you know invocation to allah the compassionate right mm. this mm. kind of idea about like not only not only the jati here who we're we're seeing right you know we're seeing the record of their historical existence as you were saying um, but also the tie, you know, like what it is that binds like all living creatures together, right? Compassion and suffering like mm -hmm. gets invoked. And then the other thing that I think is like so amazing. I mean, there's so many things that are just like crazy about this. Like, you know, put this scene alongside um, uh, 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 Widow Kong and the candle flame, right? Right, I right, mean, right, such right. A, such a... Uh, it's the same the same connection, but happening in a very different way, right? Um, but also, this comes right after um, at the conference they're having the conversation about how to make a universal calendar, right? right? And um, you know, uh, Badur is, says, um, uh, "Okay, well, we can just start it with with the date of the meeting. That would be zero. Um, it's spring. Start the year on the spring equinox, um, and then 
then as these kinds of matters are all universalized or made standard all over the world, when the time comes that governments begin to put pressure on scientists to work for just one part of humanity, they can say, I'm sorry, science doesn't work that way. We're a system for all peoples. We only work to make things that will all be right. But we have this idea there that like, you know, oh, you can create this universal time. Mm -hmm. um, and the uni and cr the creation of universal time in a shared universal calendar mm -hmm. um, is going to allow also for this kind of, um, you know, for, you know, science to say we serve humanity, not the particular interests of a particular region or a particular state. Mm -hmm. um, but then that kind of like that idea of universal time and the universal calendar is put into such a like, you know, strange relation when suddenly we're thinking about like, oh, yeah. And the the woman who is standing up at this scientific conference saying like, we can create a universal calendar that's based on like what we understand about like a set of facts that we understand through scientific processes. That woman was this person um, who died in the avalanche mm -hmm. however many years ago, right? You know mm -hmm. what I mean? So there's this kind of like really, I just think it's like one of the moments where like, um, you know, we, we really are asked to think about like, two very different conceptions at the same time that both like have certain kinds of harmony with each other and also in some ways like you know uh, clash or contradict with each other in a way that's like very productive mm -hmm. i think mm -hmm. yeah yeah that's but that's cool. that's amazing it's such an amazing part you know like and yeah. just like the kind of um uh yeah it's yeah, really so good. yeah it is really good um and then, you know, of course, it makes me sad because uh, the contrast to our real life couldn't be more different in terms of, like, the American public's response to scientists telling people to wear masks is like, fuck you, I'm going to kill you if you tell me to wear a mask. Die, die, die. Um, yeah. It's it's kind of, yeah. like, hard to imagine this level of... I mean, I, I like, I think part of, you know stands you know books you know i think i think the faith in science is admirable and definitely um something to try to emulate but i think one thing that is the the disparity between his novels and our reality is just at least in the american context the enormous skepticism <laughs> that is um cultivated by you know the culture industry specifically about regarding experts and expertise and authority um, on like simply fucking factual, objectively knowable, basic scientific things. And I think it's gotten a lot I, worse probably since the publication of this book in a weird way. Like I'm sure like at the publication of this book, people were still having arguments about like, or there was still that they were, they were doing the kind of intelligent design uh, in schools argument. Right. And yeah, that seems quaint compared to the kind of skepticism that's leveled around like COVID and, and fucking vaccines for God's sakes. Anyway. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I also think, though, that it's like, so, so one, like, as long as like, um, as long, so as long as science, I mean, so, but, because honestly, I also think that like, you know, 
people who have fucking yard signs that say like in this house like hate has no home here and we believe in science i just feel right. like yeah what the, what the fuck does that mean yeah we what does believe that mean? in science yeah. some which is so as long as science is treated you know just as like an I object put, of faith yeah. my hand my hands are making quotation marks around science mm-hmm. as just like some undifferentiated authority right? right like well there there are huge problems with that and then the other thing i mean the 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 covid thing like and you know obviously like everybody should be wearing a fucking mask and minimizing their contact with other people um but like if our institutions not only don't offer us what we need in order to like do the material things we need to do yeah. it would be the evidence that we believe in science right yeah. you know the institutions have completely failed right yeah. and yeah. and it's not just they've failed is it in fact like what pass you know the institutions of our country keep saying well you should go out there i mean I, you know like yeah. here in chicago like we're not allowed to go to a fucking beach but yeah. we can go to bars yeah yeah you yeah. know what i mean yeah. Like, and the, you know, I won't get into a whole thing about how the mayor has uh, <laughs> said that it's going to be illegal to protest in the neighborhoods. She has barricaded herself in on, in, on her street. Yeah. Like, oh, she has. Emmanuel, like, never did that. People, like, like protested in front of people his house. People fucking hated him. Oh, my He's God. He's the most, one yeah. of the most repugnant people in America. Um, oh, and yeah, people exactly. should be uh, protest. They should still be protesting in front of his house. <laughs> all day long they might as well because they can't get in front of Lori lightfoot's house anyway yeah exactly but i think the thing is it's like you know the sort of like oh people should be wearing masks and their stupidity and refusing them and and, i mean and like the the vaccine issue is like a frustrating one too but like leaving that aside Mm -hmm. so but it's also the case that like when there is nothing in the world that like offers you I mean, there is there is no sense that we have any kind of collective life. Mm-hmm. You know, the only collective life we have is the life of radical separation, which is life under capital, right? Yeah, yeah. That's all. That's the only thing that we have. So, like, yeah. you know, as long as it appears that there are social relations among things, right, and commodity relations among humans, then it is going to continue to be the case that people are not going to behave collectively because why should they, you know? Yeah, right. And the kind of, like... The sort of, I mean, I just, I really, really think that like, you know, the, of course there are people who are just like assholes or whatever, Mm -hmm. um, you know, but in many ways they're simply bearing out something that like, um, is like, uh, you know, fundamental to like, you know, at least the ideology of capitalism in the American state, which is like, you know, but you're an individual and you get to make your own decisions about things or whatever it is. And like, but for so many other people, it's like. There is nothing supporting them. Yeah. And it's also the case that like without larger scale, uh, you know, without forms of social support, um, like we're not going to like deal with this just by wearing masks. Like right. that's part of it. Right. But, you know, like um, until there are ways to like um, provide like good care for children and other people who mm-hmm. need attentive care. And until there are ways to allow people to not fucking go to work yep. um, and to still have enough food and until there are no more landlords and no mm-hmm. more fucking cops, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, we're not, you know, like, so, I mean, and in some ways I think this is the sort of like, this is why to me, like, it's so important that the kind of like vision, I mean, 
you know, and I think this is complicated. If we were talking about like the science and the capital novels, like there are some mm-hmm. complicated thinking in there about what's the relationship between like science and, and government. Mm-hmm. But, you know, like the, uh, you know, the state isn't neutral, right? right? And so like when like when it's like the state saying like, hey, we want you to do this science, like, um, yeah, anyway. <laughs> All this is to say, it's like, you know, we also don't live in a world in which science is independent, despite like the goodwill and the extraordinary hard work of yeah. scientists like all over the place. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, so the kind of I, there's something about the idea that like, oh, if people, people should just like listen to scientists and like it, in some ways, yes. But in other ways, like that, it, that only like gestures towards something that is a much larger field of um, well, and yeah. problems. And also like science today versus science in 2002 versus science after in the 1940s or something looks radically different because it has been captured by capital so thoroughly, right? So like you can be a science major in some, you know, science major, you can be a physics major or whatever in college and never really have to grapple with philosophy or literature or any kind right. of like other kind other forms of knowledge that are actually pretty fucking important to understand yourself as a human being in a society who doesn't who isn't just a robot who creates weapons for the defense department right or who creates new apps for for a phone to make your laundry more you know easy to do or some <laughs> bullshit like that right like Like, oh, I'm going to make an app that hooks your phone up to your washing machine. Like, I don't think we really need that. Right. But like um, because science has been so thoroughly captured by by capitalism, uh, uh, you, you come up with like just boneheaded ideas, ideas like that that don't have any kind of bearing on like what would actually improve people's lives or like would be in continuity with, you know, forms of living together that have like sustained societies for millennia. Right. Um, right. Right. That kind of thing. Uh, yeah. As as long as like science is like, as is an object of like that, you could say something like you believe that a sentence, like we believe science, as long as something as a sentence like that is like, uh, comprehensible or utterable, then science isn't its own thing. It's a matter. It is an object of faith. And like, you know, it's like if if I don't believe in COVID hard enough, then I will never get it. You know, that is kind of like <laughs> the mentality that governs a lot of people who 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 refuse to or who, as you say, like are simply executing the plan that has been programmed into them of not wearing masks. I mean, you can blame fre- college freshmen for wanting to go to parties as much as you want, but how is college? presented in the media what is their idea of what college is it's one big long fucking party that they don't have to pay for until they're 25 and then they get to pay for it for 20 years on a on a loan or yeah. their parents or <laughs> yeah, their parents yeah, just exactly. pay for it right <laughs> it's just like drugs and alcohol and and maybe mm. some sex although there should probably be a lot more sex and a lot less drugs and alcohol in college <laughs> from what i understand of society these days but Anyway, uh, I'm going off on a tangent. And less video games as well. Have sex. Don't ha- don't play video games. Have sex. <laughs> <laughs> what am I talking about? What am I talking about? Cut me off. Welcome, welcome to our pro sex podcast. I oh mean, God, I'm cutting that, that part out. That's so, embarrassing. Uh, yeah. So something that I think, 
Yeah, I mean, it's something that I think that this novel, Years of Rice and Salt. <laughs> what novel? Uh, Are talking about our novel? Oh, sorry. A book, a book I found. It's sitting next to me. Oh, okay. Uh, so something about this, uh, about Years of Rice and Salt that I, I really love is how much... Um, how much it shows, and a lot of this comes through its interest in the ways in which, like, um, uh, I think, in, in its interest in the ways in which um, uh, Buddhism itself grows out of a certain kind of observational relation to the world, you know, uh, uh, you know, the the possibility of, like, noticing the connectedness of things. But I love how much the novel is about, shows the kind of like, um, what it takes to get to the place where you're doing like the kind of, you know, basically mind-blowing research that Aunt Adelba is in this chapter. What is taken to get there is all of this stuff that isn't actually separate from daily life, right? Mm -hmm. But is in fact like the ways in which humans, human creatures just mm-hmm. like encounter the world through observing it and trying to understand it through thinking about similarities and differences right through thinking between like um you know their their beliefs and their apprehensions of the things that you can't see um and and their experiences like you know i don't know putting food on the table or figuring out how to grow things or thinking right. about like why that thing does that thing and mm-hmm. that kind of like um that science is not you know like a thing that like one learns because one is one of these you know specially endowed incredibly smart people who like did well on like a portion of your sat right. um you know and then like l- learns it in these like wall off as you were saying these like walled off classrooms mm-hmm. right um you know but but in fact like you know is is just this fundamental like human relation to the world um which is not to say that there isn't more you know specifics than that right but it is to say that that's like its origin its emergence um you know it's like not separate from the world it's not not like walled off in some special domain Mm -hmm. but like really present you know um uh which it just like that i think is like such an important kind of way to to sort of um both have a reverence for like the amazingness of the stuff that the natural sciences like Mm -hmm. um help us to know and to understand and also not to understand that as like you know whatever the special like function of some priestly class or something Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm yeah, and also this chapter, another thing it does, and 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 part of uh, the program or the or what it does, what it does to do what you just said is link up science with art and poetry and music and all the other things. Is that that you know that um, it's not just learning amazing things, but making meaning out of them as well, and like making yes, me- meaningful yes. to build a meaningful yes. world and to build a meaningful life in that world, right? Um, that that's you know that that is uh, the important work that the humanities does and the, and and that history does, um, in direct relation to the natural sciences and to the observation of the natural world that illuminate uh, more and more increasingly not, not uh, you know facts about the natural world about physics and about who we are and where we came from. There's an amazing part of the novel where 
there's this debate between like where did human life originate and there's a very compelling argument made by the Haudenosaunee scientists that it's like oh we actually are the we're where uh, humanity evolved <laughs> and then we spread out to the rest of the world and then the Ferangi scientists are like actually no I mean we found some cave paintings that are like way older than that like so it's just this kind of amazing right. uh, moment of rethinking that whole you know relation or that yeah. moment of yeah, di- exactly. that moment of discovery yeah. that is that belongs to like the European 19th century the European 19th and 20th centuries that could you know uh, that 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 if approached from a different uh, perspective um, look look radically different right um yeah yeah and that that kind of knowledge is about like you know wanting to figure out things like wanting to mm -hmm. figure out facts but also it's about wanting to think about like you know what we were and what as you've been saying what we might be right and not 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 just a sort of um you know, winning an argument, right? And, yes. Well, and that those are political decisions, not only in the sense that they depend upon who's politically in power at the time that those discoveries are made, but they're also political. That that's that's knowledge that also becomes political in the sense of who is it that we want to be and how do we want to live together. So yes, you know that that politics suffuses all of these. You know, like it it's just blows my mind when you see stories about. Um, college you know college classes trying to be depoliticized or objective or whatever you're in robot voice mode by the way but uh that in college you know that 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 somehow you're supposed to as a as a professor or as a teacher be nonpartisan. i mean obviously you shouldn't like advocate for either political party because they're both <laughs> fucking lunatics <laughs> But, you know, to, to the idea that knowledge is apolitical or that you could say something that is, like, unbiased um, is absurd, is, like, so ridiculous and so, you know, un, so un, uh, non-understanding of what, like, science and knowledge are and how they're constituted and what's at stake in knowing stuff. Yes, yes. I was going to say, like, the stakes, right? The stakes. The stakes. <laughs> Speaking of stakes, I'm starving, Hillary. I'm oh, hungry. That was um, a great... You are on with the transitions today. Oh, man. I've been, I just write them in my notebook all day long. I just... <laughs> I, have a, I have a pun dictionary that I... Uh, it just says, constantly. speaking of stakes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, this chapter is amazing. It's got carbon dating. It's got like at atomic bombs. It's got history. It's got historical materialism. It's got... Um, you know, uh, lesbianism, it's got college, it's got death, it's got revolution, it's got everything. Got all um, the, it has all the good stuff. All the good stuff. And it has a Bardo scene at the very end on page 23 that's written in, in a very, you know, in a, in a, um, in a style with no quotation marks uh, that we see sometimes recur throughout Robinson's uh, novels um, where it's a kind of stream of consciousness conversation between um, these are our three main characters and setting us up for one more turn, which is called, ironically enough, the first years book 10. I can't wait. I am I super can't psyched to finish the book. It's always bittersweet when you come to the end. Um, but, uh, we're going to do it next, next week. Look for this episode for the next, for the final episode of the years of writing and salt to drop. It's going to be a great, it's going to be a big drop. 
a great drop huge a hot hot drop huge Ugh. huge <laughs> huge huge it's gonna be tremendous no one's it'll ever be seen, tremendous people are talking about it no one's ever seen anything like it folks they're saying this is incredible what you're doing here no it's one's really, ever done anything like this it's tremendous so it's truly fantastic it's tremendous <laughs> people are saying we never thought you could read a whole book and there's <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. More and more people are saying it. More okay. and more people are saying it every day. Every day. Um, okay. So thank you for listening. Yes. Thank you for listening. Stay safe out there, especially if you're going to be teaching classes anytime in the next two weeks. Good yeah. luck with all that. Stand behind that plexiglass shield, friends. Oh my God. <laughs> Wear a mask. And, Wear a mask. Um, yeah. Peace out. Thanks. Yep. Bye. 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 Thank you.